You know, when I think about this, I was just thinking about how two years ago, we were a month from COVID shutdowns. So it's been almost two years because that the first Sunday that so many people were off was that March like 15th, 16th Sunday. I remember because my son turned 21 on the Saturday night, that Saturday night, and everything was locked down. So here we are two years into a crazy time uh, that is now our probably new normal, although I don't think we know what normal is. And for the past uh, several weeks now, six weeks or so, we've been talking about this time in Pastor Guy. We're going to continue that today. But before we dive into that, Justin, what's going on with you? I thought I would just ask you today. What are you reading right now uh, that might be interesting uh, for these guys? Like, what are you reading right now that is helpful? Yeah, to- yeah first of all, uh, Brian, happy belated Valentine's Day. Uh, we didn't get to see each other, you know, on I, Monday. So I don't, I didn't find my candy at the door, you know, so <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, on their way. Uh, supply chain issues. Um, yeah, so two books that I'm reading right now uh, that that are relevant to our conversation today. One, actually, I'll be re- uh, referencing later, which is called Building the Benedict Option uh, by Leah Labresco, which is uh, so far excellent. I'm about two thirds of the way through it. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, Rod Dreher and the Benedict Option stuff. Uh, I think that the, you know, the thing I have to say about everything these days is I don't agree with everything he says, but like, uh, short of the Bible, that's about it. And Brian, uh, I, you know, Pretty there's good. nobody I don't agree with. And my wife, <laughs> in case she's watching. Um, so that's one. And then the other is Analog Church by Jay Kim. And this is excellent as well. I just started this on the plane. I'm actually in Seattle right now. We're working with the church up here. And uh, so hanging here in, uh, in somebody else's office. And uh, Jay Kim actually will be our monthly interview. We're going back to interviews the first week of the month, something we did for a while and we got away from it. We're going to go back to it. So April, first, first Wednesday, Pastor Guide in April, Jay Kim is going to be joining us for an interview. And he wrote this Analog Church, uh, which is really, really good. And he's coming out with a, a follow-up Analog Christians that we'll be talking to him about. So yeah, that's what I'm reading right now. What about you? Analog Church, the title of that is intriguing because it feels opposite. It feels like here we are in the, and maybe that's the, maybe that's the the thing is here we are like the last two years, it's been like streaming and technology. So yeah. comments and on this, that? This was, uh, this was written before the pandemic. So um, it's, uh, let's see, I want to double check that that's true. Well, copyright 2020. So he definitely wrote it before the pandemic. It's, yeah, it's very timely, and I think uh, it's worth everybody's time. We'll talk more about that in April, but yeah, both uh, both really good books. What are you, what are you right. reading, Brian? I've got two things. Uh, first of all, I am listening to The Death of Expertise. I might have told you guys that a couple of weeks ago. I, I'm listening to it on Audible. I always have an Audible book or two going, and, and I think you should read The Death of Expertise because it affects the way people receive your sermons. Mm-hmm. So you think you're an expert when you get up and you talk about, well, let's just think think about the things that are, are, are key in our society right now. Vaccines, masks, CRT, political issues, January 6th, Republicans and Democrats, uh, police, all of these things that have been such big topics of conversation in the last, uh, what, two years or so. And, and, and obviously it started before then, 
But, you know, we've got big elections coming up in the next two or three years in our country. And I, I hear pastors feeling like, I don't think that applies to me, the death of expertise. Read the book. Yeah. Uh, the second book that I just got from my friend, Joby Martin, who just sent it to me two days ago, uh, Joby sent me a text message and said, hey, I want to send you my new book. It's called, If the Tomb is Empty, Why the Resurrection Means Anything is Possible. Now, when I first got this, I thought, am I super interested in that? I've preached a lot of Easter sermons. I, I feel like I've read a lot of books about this before. Uh, but actually, he has a co-author who's a New York Times bestselling author named Charles Martin. And I just started this book, super well written. I mean, just really, really good book. Well written, um, uh, excellent uh, work in terms of uh, the way it's written. So, and it might just be a helpful book for you to pick up right before Easter comes. So if the tomb is empty, implications of the resurrection on our daily lives. So uh, started with something a little different, but it's always good to, um, to be able to say the kinds of things that we're engaging around and reading right now. So that's good. Awesome. All right. And are now, you a, are you a podcaster, Brian? Yeah, uh, you know, I'm not listening to any podcasts right now. I do okay. like podcasts. What are you listening to right now? Well, uh, ministry Besides wise, Joe Rogan, because we know that you are you're Joe Rogan's guest. Never, host. never miss an episode. Um, no, uh, one uh, is Patrick Lencioni's, uh podcast about his new uh, assessment tool, the Working Genius. Uh, so it's called the Working Genius Podcast. Uh, it's an assessment tool that we've started using here at Context um, to help teams. In fact, that's part of what we're doing today in Seattle is, is working with the team, uh, through that assessment. And so they've got a podcast that goes along with that. That's been really helpful. Um, I always listen to the Craig Rochelle leadership podcast. That's a, that's kind of a consistent one for me. I'm listening to a podcast somewhat religiously slash obsessively, um, that is, has nothing to do at all with ministry, but it's called smartless. And I'm kind of obsessed with it. It's hilarious. It's, uh, it's Will Arnett, Jason Bateman, and Sean Hayes. And they interview various funny people and celebrities. And it's really, really good. And, and totally inappropriate, guys. So you really shouldn't listen to it as a pastor. Don't listen to it. And one more, one more media suggestion from Justin. It's not from me. It's from Justin. There's a new romance movie out with J-Lo and oh. Wilson. And Justin's you, got it. He's watching it every night. It's you like had a me at J-Lo. movie. So yeah, uh, if you're so looking good. for, if you're looking to watch a 1990s rom-com and make your, if your men on the call, make your wife happy with the dumbest movie you've ever seen, the new movie by J-Lo called Marry Me. Okay. This is, we learned anything from the Super Bowl. It's that the 90s are still alive today. So wow. it makes total sense that we're going back to J-Lo and Owen Wilson here. Thankful for the Rams, our home team. I know Justin's a newer Los Angeles resident. He's only been here a year or so, but um, we're West Coast guys. We got our LA. I don't have my Dodgers hat on. So this has nothing to do with effective pastoring. We're just interesting, super interesting people. Justin yeah. and I are. So we do want you to know also, Justin will be flying in here in a couple of weeks, and he and I will be doing two more days of, of shooting new videos for Pastor Guide. And so if you have not... Um, transition to the new membership do that uh, because it's now only $19 or $419 a month I can't remember which of those two but it's 19 hey, whatever so. you want yeah either yeah one. Brian so, um, yeah. do you think we should offer the guys any value today uh, or just keep 
kind of chatting. We probably we probably should dive in. We are nine minutes in. So welcome, Justin. Where have we come from in these past few weeks in terms of a pastor for the storm? Uh, where have we come from? And then charge forward today and let us know where we're going for today. Yeah, so we are in a longer series for us. We don't usually do series this long, but it's been, gosh, six weeks now, and we've got two more. Um, talking about this larger cultural change that we're calling the storm, and and this is um, a, a little bit of a ripoff, not a little bit, it's a complete ripoff from Andy Crouch, uh, who talked about um, the idea of you know COVID and its implications being um, a blizzard. Uh, a, a winter and an ice age. Did I get that right? I think that's right. Yeah. And uh, and so the the immediate blizzard of you know kind of the onset of COVID, followed by a a, a medium term winter where things were going to be kind of locked in place, and then a long term ice age where things would be fundamentally different. And so we've taken that idea and and said, okay, what does that mean? What are the implications for now for this middle ground? We're we're kind of through the blizzard, we think, of COVID. And, and into this winter phase where I was just reading this morning in the New York Times daily email that traffic accidents are have spiked like crazy in the last two years as people are driving more aggressively and, you know, a variety of different reasons that they pointed out. We're in this new phase and uh, the churches that we're talking to around the country, with, of course, some exceptions that love to email me to tell me that they're the exception to whatever I say, which is great. I do love to hear about the good news exceptions. Um, but across the board, churches are down 40 to 60%. That, that's the number that we're hearing. Top end, 40%, bottom end, 60%. And down, you know, tenants and money and, and engagement across the board. And so we're recognizing that and going, okay, what does this new reality look like? How do we need to shift the way we think, the way we work, the way we lead um, to be able to, to best suit this new season and, and the winter that we're in? So we've talked about leadership for the storm. We've talked about uh, a church for the storm, ways that we need to change the structures of our churches. We've talked about preaching for the storm, all kinds of different things, multiple weeks on some of those topics. Um, and this week, we're going to talk about uh, what what a pastor for the storm might look like. And I want to build that out for uh, just a second. But next week, um, we're going to look at opportunities because every time uh, there there is a challenge, there's a crisis of some sort, there, there comes with it opportunities. And, and I think uh, we, Brian and I both feel like there's some real opportunities for the church in this moment, even though there's some difficulties, challenges, and, and real big pivots that we're going to have to make. Uh, there's some real opportunities as well that go with it. So we're going to talk about the opportunities next week. So if you want some good news, right, after six weeks or so of uh, laying out all these challenges, tune in next week, okay, for the good news. I got more bad news for you this week. Um, roll, forward this, with, roll forward with a wave of negativity. Here we yeah, <laughs> that's, kind of, uh, that's kind of my thing. Um, the, uh, the, the thing about uh, the, this week, Pastor for the Storm, is and, and I'll just speak for myself, uh, and Brian's, uh, Brian can speak for himself, though uh, it's the same, I'm pretty sure, um, is I would say I am not naturally oriented towards being a pastor, which is mildly problematic given that I've spent the last 20 years of my life as a pastor. Um, but I, you know, one of the things I always say is I don't wake up in the mornings thinking about the people. I wake up in the morning thinking about the future and thinking about kind of the church as an organization. Where are we going and what are we doing? But I rarely wake up thinking about the people. 
And so a lot of what we talk about on Pastor Guide then is reflects that the fact that both Brian and I are kind of generally oriented that way. Maybe Brian, you would say you're more of a tender hearted shepherd than I think you are. Um, your silence tells me no. So uh, I think, uh, I think that that's reflected in a lot of what we talk about here, which is a lot about systems and structure, leadership, preaching, you know, kind of some of the high level stuff. And we don't do a lot about pastoring and shepherding and, you know, counseling and, and these kinds of things. Um, but I, I think that that's really, really important right now. And in fact, I'm going to talk about this a little more in a moment, but this, this book, Building the Benedict Option, has only increased my conviction around that and, and people's need for, uh, for pastors in their lives. And so um, I've got five things uh, for us this morning. Uh, to be thinking about uh, the kinds of pastors I think people need here in the storm. So without further ado, number one, I think we need pastors who are deeply engaged, not shallowly engaged. And I'm not sure if shallowly is a word, but that's all right. We're making up words every week on Pastor Guide. It's what we're doing here. So here, here's what I mean by that. The whole world is shallow. We have a shallow understanding of every person and everything around us. It's kind of what the internet does to us. There's this great book, I can't remember who wrote it, Daniel something, I think, called The Shallows. And the whole argument of the book is that the internet creates a, a skimming effect. And so we get used to skimming articles, have, you know, reading things in a distracted manner, clicking around, and never having a real deep understanding of anything. Uh, Cal Newport talks about this a lot in his deep work uh, book or his um, digital something. He's got another book uh, that's, that's similar that are both really good. And the idea is that the, that the internet, in fact, uh, Jay Kim talks about this as well in Analog Church that the internet creates this skimmability, which then in turn creates a real shallowness in us and our people, right? In fact, Brian already talked about the book, The Death of Expertise. This is a real problem for us, I think as pastors first, because we're supposed to be experts. And so if there's a declining amount of trust in experts, that's a real problem for us. But I think also um, the, the contribution that expertise brings is a deep understanding of a thing. Right. So I saw somebody uh, on Twitter say um, experts in their field make bad policymakers. And I think that's absolutely true. And one of the failures of this whole COVID thing is we've over relied on immunologists and, and you know, uh, experts on, on these issues of, of uh, you know, disease and, and all these kinds of things, because they they are people who have a really deep understanding of the thing, but what requi is required of something like public policy is also a really broad understanding of like how people work, how people move, how people make decisions, how these things will get rolled out. And so when experts make decisions on policy, it can be, it, it can be a real problem. But that doesn't mean that we don't need experts. You need people and our people need people who can go deep who can engage deeply on the things that matter most to you and to your people. And so I think what our people need from, our, from us, from their pastors, is people who are willing to go deep and not just to kind of skip along the top, especially um, on things that matter most and are the most controversial, right? 
they need you to be the exception to the shallowness rule, which is that everybody has kind of got a vague understanding of things. So, and again, these are especially things that are complicated and controversial. So here's my, here's my admonition to you. Don't talk about things like critical race theory or communicable diseases or sexuality or gender or politics or media or anything else if you only have a shallow understanding of them because you can do more harm than good when you talk about something authoritatively with only a shallow understanding of that thing, especially something that is nuanced and complicated, okay? And you just contribute to this, this kind of deluge of shallow understanding and shallow information that your people are already getting. If you're gonna create value in their minds and hearts, they need to think, okay, when I come to church, I am getting something well thought out, deeply understood and well communicated, okay? So I would encourage you guys, go deep on the things that you're talking about because, the, because your people don't want the, the shallow thing. And the result of this kind of ever increasingly shallow world we live in is that they, are, they become shallow, media-driven and often wrong uh, about these issues because they don't understand the depth of it. So I, one, one last thought on this. I remember, you know, Jimmy Carter is, is widely considered one of our worst presidents. And, and, and part of that reason was because he didn't, he didn't lead. He didn't have convictions about things. And I remember reading an interview, and I'm paraphrasing this because it's been years and I didn't go very deep on it. Um, but the, the, you know, he, he was asked a question about some, some current event, some controversy, and where he landed on it. And he said, I have a really hard time. Um, picking a lane, and this was after his presidency that, that he was reflecting back. He had a really hard time picking a lane because he read too widely on both sides of the issue and understood the nuances and complexities. That's a problem I want us to have, that we've read too much on each side that we can't just go, well, it's clearly this, because any issue that's actually interesting and, and, and worth our time is never that black and white. It's never that clear. It's always nuanced. It's always complicated. And it's going to require us to kind of walk that line, to thread the needle between things to be able to accurately and responsibly represent these ideas to our people. Brian, what would you add to that? Look, so if we're going to effectively live this out and be deeply engaged, not shallowly engaged, I, I think what I want to add here is um, be an expert in the scripture. I remember reading R. Kent Hughes' book, Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome, which is a great old book, uh, probably 30 years or so ago. Um, I probably read it 20 years ago. And he had a seminary professor that used to shout at, at his class, mighty in the scriptures, mighty in the scriptures, mighty in the scriptures. So what we are to be experts on is the preaching and pro proclamation of God's word. And I'm hearing people stand up and talk about, you know, politics and masks and vaccines and all kinds of things that I feel like you just are, a, let me not say you, we are oftentimes a product of our Apple news feed on our phones and, and don't really know what's going on. What people need is they need the life-changing uh, teaching of God's word, which by the way, was written during a time way worse than this, most of it. So we see, excuse me, we see, sorry, 
um, man, don't die. I can't handle over, the rest uh, of this on my yeah, own. Yeah, so I'm I'm just I'm choked up right now. I'm, I'm thinking about crying. So so God's word speaks into the things that we are um, living out right now. So study God's word, teach it. Uh, and when we talk about being deeply engaged, not shallowly engaged, let's stick to what God has called us to do and what we are supposed to be experts in and great in, and let's focus on that. All right, Justin, what's the second thing we need to really focus on going forward as a pastor for the storm? Yeah, uh, the second thing is this. I think we need to be people-focused, right? Okay, so what I'm about to say is going to sound obvious. Your church exists to help people, Okay. I think that's obvious. We would all affirm that. But I think often we think more about how people can help our church, right? So we have a vision, we have a structure, we have a system, we have an, a, you know, some sort of philosophy of ministry, whether it's Seeker, you know, or Soma or what, whatever the thing is, we've got a thing and we're working to get people to buy into our thing. Okay. And that's not all, that's not all bad. But I think we need to remember that our church and therefore our structures and our philosophy and all of the things we're doing exist for our people, not them for us, right? And in a moment like this, when the needs of our people are changing, I think we need to take our eyes off the solutions that we've always used and look back to the people to see what they really need now, okay? So this is a reset moment. And I want us to remember, like, rather than going, okay, what's the next structure, philosophy, or whatever, what's the next thing, what's the next trend, go back to our people in our time and go, okay, what do our people need in order to really understand, like, what, what they need now to grow as disciples, okay? How, do, how might we know that? Well, I would ask them, okay? Ask your people what they need. Now, be really clear. The way you frame these questions is going to kind of control the, the responses that you get. So ask what they need, not what they want from their church. Frame your questions in a way that doesn't promote consumerism, but actually makes them think about their discipleship. So maybe a question like, how can our church help you grow as a Christian? What are two to three things that are especially challenging to your faith? right now. In fact, when I wrote two to three things in my notes, I actually wrote 203 things. And that might be the case. There may be a lot of things that there are especially challenging to their faith right now. And uh, you need to know that. So frame those questions in a way that gets you the answers that you need, because our people are in need of different things. Okay. And here's one way I know that, and, and this is going to feel maybe a little challenging, but this is, this is a thought I've had for, for some time now. Um, if our people are no longer engaging the things that we're doing, it might not be their fault. It might be ours, right? So think about this. We need to create value and perceived value so that people will want to be involved in things, right? So across the board, we're seeing a 40% decrease in church attendance, Okay. Let's say that's true everywhere and where you are. You're not the exception. Let's just, let's just say that. Uh, instead of saying, gosh, you know, people aren't coming to church and, you know, they're being lazy or they're distracted or this politics or whatever, just as a thought experiment, start by saying, what is it that they want that they no longer are getting? Or conversely, 
what is it that we're doing that they don't find to be worth their time anymore? Because it used to be. They used to find value in coming to church every week, and now they don't. Now they come instead of three times a month, they come once a month, right? Why? Ask yourself that question because blaming them doesn't do any good. It, it, it may be entirely their fault. It may be that they're selfish and lazy and, and you know, listening to too much right or left-wing media, depending on where you're at. Uh, and that may be all true, but it doesn't do you any good to think that way. Rather, think, what, 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 what can we provide of value that they can then, you know, that touches real need in their life, right? Um, people's needs are changing. That means that their engagement will change too. So let's figure out, like, are we no longer meeting their needs? And if so, why? And is it that their needs have actually changed? Is it that their needs haven't changed, but their desires have changed? Is like, just, just figure that out. Remember, like, we need to be more people-oriented during the season because they're they're shifting. So all of our assumptions, right? About like we, we've done we've done pastor guide calls where we've talked about like how to how to recruit and keep volunteers. Okay. I was recently looking through that curriculum and it's super, super good. But as I was reading it, I thought, is this still true? Is this still relevant? Like are the are these still the things that we have to do to recruit volunteers? And are these still the things we have to do to keep volunteers? I don't know. Maybe they are, but maybe they're not. And I think it's worth asking that question to go, okay, we exist for the people. If we were in a different country in a different time, we wouldn't be doing the same things that we've been doing for the last probably 10 or 20 years. Well, we are functionally in a different place in a different time. So we should probably, there's probably going to be some things that we need to start doing different, but that should bubble up from the people rather than just us adopting a new system and then trying to convince people to join our thing. So Brian, what, what do you what do you think about all that? I think there's a question that's helpful to ask here. As we're people focused, okay, and as we're thinking through what do people need to grow as a Christian? What's the ultimate need of people? Um, how has that changed in the last two years? I think the key question that I would like to encourage us to ask more often is what do we offer? that the rest of the world does not. What do we offer that the rest of the world does not? You know, we don't really offer better music, and you probably don't offer better preaching than people can get on the internet. I mean, Justin thinks he offers better preaching. I keep trying to tell him that he's, he's a pretty good preacher, so I would definitely listen to Justin, but you know, people can go on and they can listen to Francis Chan and Matt Chandler and John Piper, whoever else they want to listen to these days, you know, and even even when I planted uh, originally 20 some years ago, I remember feeling like these people are kind of letting me be their pastor, but some of them have an online pastor that's more influential than I am, you know, and they'll stay here as long as they don't fire me by leaving. So I think the key question to ask is what do we offer that the world does not? Okay, so when I think about that, I think particularly in the last two years, and this is just, you know, this is just off the top of my head, like we offer essentially acceptance, where the world may not offer acceptance. We offer warmth in community, where we should anyways, like that we, people should come. I remember I, I visited Saddleback Church, which is close to my house recently after the pandemic, uh, when they reopened after 15 months, and they had a thousand people 
holding up signs and cheering as you walked on saying, because my son plays the cello on the stage there oftentimes when he's back from college, is saying, welcome home, you're home. You know, it's like, what do we offer that the world does not? And if we're going to be people focused, I think there's a couple of things. We offer truth from the scripture. We offer community. We offer, we offer acceptance, those sorts of things. And so a great question to ask as we are people focused. All right, we're two down, deeply engaged, not shallowly engaged, people focused. What's the third thing, Justin, in terms of a pastor for the storm? Yeah, I think people right now are looking for models to follow. And, and the reality is like role models do not have a great track record right now, okay? We are seeing leaders, public leaders fall over and over and over. It seems like every day, some new scandal, some new person, right? That's why dead people are the best role models. Unless you find an old racist diary or something, they can't fail anymore. So this, is, this doesn't change the fact that there is an ongoing need for a role model, someone to look up to. Like people want to follow people and they need to be able to see this embodiment of ideas. I think that's why guys like Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson and some of these guys are so popular right now, especially among young men, because people just need to go, okay, I've got all these ideas. I'm convinced of them, but I don't know how to do them. Show me somebody who's doing them, right? I, I remember as a young guy uh, in ministry going, I, I need to find who I want to find somebody who's doing is who I want to be, but 20 years older so that I can at least go like, okay, th there's a path for me to follow. And I think that's just a very normal human desire to have people that, that we follow and have role models. So I think your people need to see, they need to be able to look at you and see how life should be lived right? Which I know is like a huge burden and a big ask, but there's so many questions to be asked, so many things changing. Like, how do we navigate social media? How do we navigate, uh, you know, our, our kind of inputs, our reading, our watching, our things like that? How do we navigate parenting? How do we navigate, you know, I was just talking to some friends the other day. We have similarly aged kids and she's a teacher and she was talking about how all the girls, she's a high school teacher in an all girls Catholic school. And she was talking about how all these girls are watching this show, Euphoria, if you probably heard of it, it's an HBO show. And it's kind of a crazy sexualized depiction of high school uh, in America today. And she was talking about how uh, one, of the, one of the moms watches it with her daughter because she says, you know, she's gonna watch it anyway. I'd rather be there with her to talk her through it. And I, and I just, I, I paused and I'm like, have we forgotten that we're allowed to say no to our kids, right? Have we forgotten that? Like that we can just go, no, you're not going to watch that show or no, you're not going to. And she goes, well, but they just have screens. I go, yeah, but then we could also say no to that, right? Like we, we, we've forgotten that. And, and I think a lot, a lot, a big part of that is we've lost role models. We've lost people, the ability to go, oh, that's how they're doing that. And, and this is somewhat the death of expertise. It's the death of, you know, the, the failure of role models, the failure of public, public figures. But I think our people still have that need and they, they need to see somebody navigating this modern hellscape with wisdom and maturity. So show them, talk about your life, how you make choices, how you navigate media, how you raise your kids and talk about your, your successes and your failures talk about don't don't prop yourself up as the ideal because you're not but don't neglect 
to show them like, hey, here's how we're doing this. Here's some of the pluses. Here's some of the minuses. Here's how we do family dinners. Here's how my work week plays out. Here's when I'm, you know, I start and finish. Here's, you know, like just show them, give them a role model to follow. Because I think right now everybody's grasping for things. And the only people that are kind of raising their hands to be role models are guys like Joe Rogan. And I'm not sure that's the answer that we want as much as, you know, I, I think there are some compelling reasons why guys are following him. Not sure that's the answer we want for our people. Brian, how would you kind of talk about this, this idea of role models? You know, so I would say I agree with everything Justin just said. A couple of things. Make sure, and I'm going to double down on a couple of things that he just said. First of all, make sure that when you quote George Whitfield, okay, so I've seen this go really painfully wrong. So, you know, we've, we've read books about heroes of the past without realizing sometimes that those folks were slave owners and you end up getting yourself in a challenging situation. Uh, I, I heard a, a pastor quote George Whitfield a while back and 20 people in the church got really upset. One of their daughters had studied George Whitfield and had understood his, his past background. And again, I haven't studied George Whitfield. I know who he is. I understand the Whitfield Wesley sort of thing that happened back in the day. I'm just saying, Make sure that when you look back at past role models, you have done a little bit of research, not just grabbed a quote out of some commentary from 35 years ago, or you might find yourself spending 60 hours unpacking, uh, you know, in conversations that you wish you didn't have to have. The second thing I want to say that Justin said that I also want to say is I want to say, um, um, be careful to not hold yourself up as the example. I, you're not an example well, I want to say this carefully. You're not saying follow my example. You're saying follow my commitment. Okay. So for example, for you to say, Hey, I'm committed to having dinner with my family five nights a week. That's my commitment. There's a difference in saying, look at how awesome I am and saying, look at what I'm committed to. It's just a subtle nuance. And so I completely agree. And there are folks out there, uh, one who pastors a church in Washington, DC, that feels like you should never use yourself as an example. I agree with Justin. I do think people need to see us um, giving examples, and I think hold yourself up as an example of commitment, all right? So a model to follow. How about number four, pastor for the storm? Yeah, I think uh, hospitality is, is number four. One great way to show people how you do things is to invite them into your home, right? Not all of you are cut out for this or not all of your wives are cut out for this. There will be exceptions, but I think hospitality is going to be a big value in this coming season, especially for young people. So my wife's younger brother, who is in his late 20s, lives with us and uh, rents a room from us and, and has a bunch of friends that are in their late 20s. And he had a birthday recently and they all came over and, and they are uh, all like 25 to 30 there are uh, some of them, one or two of them are married, most of them are single, some dating, whatever. They walked into our home. And I think one, the fact that we have a home and not an apartment, uh, the fact that we own a home blew their minds. Um, but we had, I mean, we didn't have any fancy thing. This was not like, you know, they're used to going to the clubs or whatever. And I, honestly, I was a little insecure about it. Like all these like hip 20 somethings are going to come over to my house, you know, for a birthday party. And we just like made tacos my kids were running around. We put them to bed. I made some margaritas. Those were delicious. But like in general, it was just a really like low key kind of thing. 
and they were blown away. Like they couldn't stop talking about how awesome it was. And I'm literally thinking like, you're spending this kid's 29th birthday at our house, not at a club or something. And you're out of your minds, happy about it. And they stayed way past my bedtime, which is the downside to it. But this book, again, I keep talking about these, these books, but Building the Benedict Adoption, Leah Labresco, and this is something Rod Dreher talks about a lot, is the, the hospitality is a huge key um, to, uh, you know, to, to evangelism, to discipleship, um, in, in uh, I'm trying, I'm blanking, um, what's this woman's name? The, the woman who wrote uh, Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert talks about this uh, quite a bit as well. Butterfield, butter scotch, something like that. Rosaria anyway. Butter, Rosaria Butterfield. Rosa, yeah. Yeah. Rosaria Butterfield. Yeah. That's, that sounds right. And uh, she talks about that as a way that evangelism, you know, that she was basically evangelized to the faith. She was a, you know, a, a lesbian liberal arts teacher who got saved, got married to a guy is now a Christian writer. And it was all because of the hospitality of the pastor. And so I think hospitality in a way of, is a way of inviting people into your life. And, and the thing I would say to, to double down on what Brian said, like you can show you can, you can talk about yourself as the example, as long as you are the example of both success and failure, right? Like, cause you do some things well, you know, even if it's two things, you do them well and talk about them. You go, Hey, here's what we're doing. And it's working. I want to know that. I want to know if somebody's going, you know, like, hey, here's an idea and I'm committed to it. I want to know, does it work? So if you do it and it works, great. Like we've tried a million different ways to do like family church, family devotions, and they're all terrible. And I end up angry every time. And I think, I don't think this is the, uh, this is the goal of this because my kids are a nightmare. I've got four-year-old to 13-year-old and none of them want to be a part of family devotions. So I talk about that all the time. We tried this and we're trying this, we're trying this, we're trying this. None of it works, but we're trying, right? So talk about that and invite people into your home to just see, hey, it's all just regular life. I can't tell you how many times we've had people over to our lives or into our home and they go, this is not what I expected from a pastor's home, right? One, way more booze than I expected. That's, you know, uh, two, fewer crosses. I'm always like, would you think there was going to be like an altar somewhere that we were all just praying at constantly? Um, and, and we do have that, but we don't pray at it all the time, right? So the, 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 the normalization of your life is, I think, really, really powerful. And hospitality is a great way to do that. So that's number four. So, so far we've got, uh, being deeply engaged, not one more shallow voice, people focused, a role model to follow, hospitality. And I'm just going to jump to number five and then Brian can wrap this up. Someone who will stay. The fifth thing that they need is someone who will stay. So many guys are leaving ministry right now. Please stay. If you can, stay. I think one of the most powerful things that a pastor can do in a time of turmoil is to put down roots and stay. And I say that as someone who left, <laughs> I, you know, we left our church in, in Seattle about seven months ago. I met, I was hanging out with the, our elders our former elders last night and, and, you know, they're doing great. The guy who replaced me is doing great. Uh, they don't need me, but I do think there is a really strong value for consistency, for continuity, for there to be an anchor in the storm. Now, 
what what makes that hard is that you might be the only one who stays you know i'm talking to people who not only is their church down 40 percent, but it's also turned over 50 percent. so you're talking about it it's a whole new church so you may be the only one who stays and that's a really lonely place to be but i think one of the things our people need is someone who will stay and go guys it's crazy there's a lot changing some of our cities are going nuts. I mean, Seattle is an example. A lot of people left because it's insane and the politics and the, the COVID stuff and all of it. But we need people who will stay. We need good leaders in the local church now more than ever. We need good pastors who are going to be people focused, care about their people, try to live as a role model, be hospitable, think deeply. We need those guys in our churches and we need them to stay in their churches now more than ever. So that's number five. Brian, bring us home. All right. The one thing that I want to remind you of, when I, when I look at these five things and I see we are deeply engaged, not shallowing, shallowly engaged, the first point that Justin said is the world is shallow. We're people focused, okay? And, and what I said to you here is, what do we offer that the world does not? A model to follow. All right, would be third, hospitality, someone who will stay. The underlying theme that keeps striking me here is what do we offer that the world does not? Someone who will stay, hospitality beyond what we see anywhere else. All right, inviting people into your home. You know, I, I, I'm sure Justin and Emily have done this forever. Shander and I have done it forever. I think that Pat Cottrell is still on this call. I've had dinner in Pat Cottrell's home in Huntington Beach. They have folks over on Sundays after church, you know, and so I don't know how comfortable you feel opening your home up or if it's the backyard barbecue or whatever it is, but I just know that every time we have people in our home and right now it's a lot of our kids friends. So our kids who are teenagers and young college students will say hey, bring your five roommates home for the weekend and they will come to our house and they will experience uh, something that they're not finding out there elsewhere. All right, so the key question I, I really think that is helpful as you look through these things, what does a pastor for the storm offer? You're deeply engaged, you're people focused, you're, you're a model to follow, a model of commitment, you're hospitable, which means to love strangers, not a stranger's lover, don't confuse that, a lover of strangers, not a stranger's lover, uh, and then someone who will stay, all right? Super good advice from Justin today on this. All right, this is good. Thanks, Andy, for the comment. I uh, love Andy from Albania and is never misses a pastor God. I had breakfast with him probably six weeks ago here when he was in town. And so uh, we do have a little bit of time for questions. We've got 10 minutes or so here, and there is a question. So let's open it up. It's from Luke uh, in the grand faraway land of Canada. And uh, Luke says, I love the idea of being a pastor who is engaging deeply. As I thought about it, it also seems deeply exhausting because the number of controversial issues seems to be growing daily. How would you recommend filtering these controversial issues to know which ones are needed to dive deeper in? I have some ideas, but would love to hear from you. I have opinions on this. My guess is Justin does as well. Let's start with Justin, and then I can correct all of his mistakes afterwards. Yeah, love that. Um, pick one and go deep and don't and talk about it and don't talk about the other ones and and be really clear with your church. I mean, actually, there was a, a pastor here in Seattle who uh, pastor a church real nearby our plant 
who spent two years doing a deep dive on gender and sexuality before preaching an eight to 10 week series on it. And I just remember thinking at the time, like, wow, that is some commitment and probably really, really wise. And so I would start by picking the thing that is either most pressing in your church, in your community, um, or the thing that is maybe closest to your heart, something that you care about a lot, but pick one thing first. And, you know, you don't have to do a two-year deep dive like my buddy did, but read five books on the subject before you start talking about it. That's all I'm saying. Just don't skim three articles all from one, you know, from the Drudge Report or all from msnbc.com or something, and then go up and, and preach about it. Pick one thing, read well about it, think deeply. And I would say this, you don't understand a thing until you have a moment of being convinced by it. Or you don't understand a thing until you have a moment of going, huh, okay, that's a good point. I never thought about it that way, right? Because there are very, very, very few issues um, that aren't born out of some truth, okay? And I think if we go into some of these issues um, and, uh, and assume that they are strictly from the devil, right? And I don't care what it is, whether it's critical race theory or gender and sexuality, whatever, every single one of these things has it has uh, pieces to it that should challenge us and should adjust our thinking. Um, and, and we haven't, I would say we haven't read deeply enough until we have that moment of like, okay, that's fair. You know, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta respond to that. I gotta think more about that. Um, so I would just pick one thing at a time, Luke, and, and read at least five books on it. And, uh, at least two of those books being people who disagree with you on the subject. Uh, and before you start talking about things. Brian, what would you add? All right. I'll say a couple things. Um, read materials that are not written uh, on solely on the Gospel Coalition blog. Because if you want to learn about CRT, for example, uh, you can't just read Christians critiquing CRT. You've got to actually read source documents, which I did in 2020. I read two books by the founders and, and successors of the creators of the CRT movement, because there's a lot of stuff out there that uh, it's even the, the stuff that you read. I mean, Justin said this, he said, you got to go deep. You can't just go deep on reading critiques by Christian authors. All right. The second thing I would say is taking it back a couple of steps and, and not everybody agrees with me on this, but I'm right as usual. So uh, that what I would say is that I, in my opinion, and, and again, I even have good friends who don't agree with me on this, but in my opinion, my primary um, focus is not to speak out on all of the cultural issues of the day. My primary focus is to preach the word of God and to love people and to shepherd people. Now, you might go, no, wait a second, what do I do on January, you know, whatever, the 9th, right after January the 6th? Uh, do I just ignore that? I think there are hard questions and answers I don't, I'm not saying you should ignore what's going on in our culture. What I am saying is that we need to continue to preach the word in season and out of season and bring truth to um, bring the truth of scripture to bear on the things around us. All right. So I would just say, be up mighty in the scriptures. All right. Keith from Shepherdsville by way of Southern California. Keith says, on being deeply engaged, Shepherdsville, Kentucky, that is. 
home of the world's greatest KOA campground. It is difficult to do this with a lot of people, all right, being deeply engaged. Suggestions on growing this type of culture. Is it primarily organic, modeled by the pastor? Do you have any methods or suggestions to help? So, Justin, um, like when you say being deeply engaged, uh, I, I'm gathering that Keith is wondering here, like, how do I do that with a lot of people? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I think uh, I, I think I'm also reading Keith's question is like, there's a lot of people who don't want to do that and don't want to get deeply engaged. How do you convince them? I think all of those things are relevant questions and. Um, you're not going to, right? So you can model it. It has to start with you. If you're not doing it, you can't ask other people to do it. I would talk about it a lot because what you talk about gets, gets you know, praised and, and becomes the model, becomes the thing that you do. So talk about your one, your unwillingness to talk about things you don't fully understand and how, you know, the links uh, at which you will go to make sure you understand something before talking about it. And then, I mean, I, I over... I probably over depend on the pulpit, but I think it is the single greatest culture shaping, idea shaping context that we have as pastors. And so I would say it all the time, whenever I have an option, um, you know, if I'm, if I'm, you know, pulling a quote from something to talk about, you know, we, I just talked about divorce this week. I mentioned that on last week's pastor, I just talked about divorce this last week and read a bunch of stuff on kind of on either side of it, um, to, to kind of understand like, what is the, what are the best arguments for it? Um, and I wanted to reflect that in my sermon. So I brought up some of those things to said, hey, here's what people are saying, which, which communicates, I understand what people are saying. I've done the work to understand what people are saying, what, what people are arguing for in terms of like kind of pro-divorce or pro-cohabitation or whatever it is. Here's how I would critique that and why I would critique that. So I think absolutely demonstrating it, walking the walk yourself, and then just continuing to engage people. And then, you know, there's going to be moments of conflict uh, inevitably around these things, whether, you know, it's any of these issues we've already been talking about. I would just do, you know, and, and some of you are probably more conflict, uh, conflict positive, which is how I describe myself, uh, where I am very likely to stop someone and go, hey, tell me first, before we have this conversation, tell me what you've read on this topic. Tell me what you, how you know what you think you know, They're just so I understand kind of where you're coming from and, and who you've read about this. And it kind of puts the onus on them to go, oh, well, this one article or, oh, no, I've actually read five books on this. Great. Cool. Okay. Let's, let's keep talking then. Um, but basically challenge them to go, oh, you've read one article. I, I think we should not have this conversation until you've read at least a book, you know, maybe two. Let's get crazy, read three, uh, and, and really push them in those kind of one-on-one -on -one situations where that, that's when it is difficult to have, uh, to push people to, to think deeply about it. So yeah, that, that'd be my answer. Did we lose Brian? Brian, you're muted. See, there's this mute button, Brian, that takes away your voice. Well, you know, it's, there it is. It's only I've been in Zoom only for a couple of days now. Yeah, it's so yeah. Nate Wagner, who does not yet know to put a question in the Q and A. Nate, all right, <laughs> Nate, put it over here in the chat. That's all right, Nate. You can do that once, but next time we send a bomb. No, I can say that we whatever. Uh, regarding death of expertise, what should pastors be aware of as we have lost our expertise in areas of faith and practice of Christian life? 
Well, I don't know that I agree with that statement, but I'm not sure what you mean. How do we engage people who are increasingly skeptical in our preaching ministry? I'm going to answer this. Um, I don't know that we've lost our expertise in areas of faith and practice of Christian life. Um, I'm sure there's more behind that, Nate, in terms of your question. Uh, most of the pastors that I know are faithful men. I, I, I look at the names on this. I look at Pat Cottrell. I look at Jason Beller. You know, I look at Dane. I look at Andy Dina. I look at Aaron Newman, my friend here in Orange County. Uh, and um, somebody said, oh, I misunderstood your question. Uh, so, uh, oh, that's uh, Justin. That was the key. Got it. All right. So all that to say, um, I think, look, we have to continue. This is going to sound really, really elementary, Nate, but we have to continue to, to stand up in front and study the scripture and preach the scripture. And then we have to live out the truth of, of, of our calling. And so there, there's a reason that 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, if a person has lost their expertise in their areas of faith and practice of Christian life, they should they are no longer qualified to be an elder. Okay, so uh, elder qualification, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, essentially, you have to be qualified to be an elder to stand up and preach God's word. And then I think we we live out what we preach. Look, I'm not saying that we never make mistakes or never sin, but obviously blameless is what 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 say. And then topic for another day, I'm thinking more along the lines of motion toll. That's from Keith. All yeah, right. And we misunderstood Keith's question. Let me let me uh, say something to Nate. If, if the way I read Nate's question was, um, if the death of expertise is true, it's kind of what you were saying earlier, Brian, then we've lost our like trust, not because we've done anything, but because the culture has moved away from, you know, trusting experts, right? So how do we engage people who are skeptical of our preaching ministry? Um, Nate, I, I, if you, if you haven't listened to, and maybe I'm misunderstanding the question, but another angle on it is, uh, last week we talked about preaching in the storm. I think that was last week, maybe it was week before. And one of the, one of the things we talked about was say less, prove more. Right. And I think that that's something we have to do to get after some of that skepticism is to say, hey, I understand not everybody agrees with this, but here's let me make this argument for you. And so that what that does is it establishes credibility in a couple of different ways. It establishes the credibility of I'm going to acknowledge that you're here and you disagree with this. It establishes credibility by being able to articulate the objections to the to what you're trying to say, and that builds credibility, and then engage those objections in a logical, rational way. And then the 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 way you engage those, the arguments themselves, are strong enough to build that last piece of credibility so that someone might agree with you. Okay, so I think being able to recognize, like, hey, you're skeptical about this, call it out. Here's what I understand you believe about this. Here's why I think it's wrong. Here's the better answer. And, and that I think builds credibility. At the end of the day, there's a tide of change around expertise that we're not gonna be able to single-handedly undo. But I think in a, in a micro sense, we can rebuild our own credibility through humility and through demonstrating that we've really thought through these issues. All right, good stuff. Good conversation, Nate. Thanks for weighing in. Uh, we can, you know, uh, Patrick Lencioni says there's no uh, absence of conflict means that there's no um, healthy team. So we can chop things up on this call. And like, look, there's um, there's going to be misunderstanding because we're typing things out and stuff. So always feel free to weigh in, ask questions, push back. Uh, that's always good. I do want to remind you also, Justin and I will both be at 
together for the gospel this year. If thanks, Luke, for your comment. Thanks, Keith, uh, Andy, all of you who have thanked us. And uh, so if you're around together for the gospel, uh, make sure you let us know. We will not do Pastor Guy that week because we'll be at T4G. It's coming up in another, I don't know, two months or so. So again, if you're planning to do that, we probably will put together a meet and greet uh, like I did two years ago or whenever we did the Lost Together for the Gospel uh, for Pastor God. So can't wait to see you all again next week. Thanks for being here and engaged. We'll see you all next Wednesday. Bye, everyone.